to the Educause Integrative CIO Podcast. I'm Jack Seuss, Vice President of IT and CIO at the University of Maryland, Baltimore County. And I'm Cynthia Golden, Associate Provost at the University of Pittsburgh. Each episode, we welcome a guest from in or around higher education technology as we talk about repositioning or reinforcing the role of IT leadership as an integral strategic partner in support of the institutional mission. Hi, everybody. Um, welcome to the Integrative CIO podcast. We are here live at Educause 2022 in Denver, Colorado. I am Cynthia Golden from the University of Pittsburgh. I'm Jack Seuss from the University of Maryland, Baltimore County. And we're happy to have everybody with us today. Um, today, we would like to welcome Mary Beth Baker and Phil Goldstein to the podcast. Mary Beth and Phil are managing partners of Next Generation Leadership Partners. So, Mary Beth and Phil, why don't you introduce yourselves to our audience and tell us a little bit about Next Gen Partners? Sure. Well, thank you. And thank you for the opportunity to be here. We are super excited to, to have this conversation. So, as Cynthia said, I'm Mary Beth Baker. I am one of the the halves of Next Generation Leadership Partners. Um, Phil and I have been, we've dedicated our professional careers to higher education. We've been in this business for, I should say, maybe close to 30 years. Um, we started our careers as consultants. Uh, we were both with Coopers and Libran. We left there. I, I was a partner leading the higher education consulting practice for the West Coast. Phil was leading the technology practice for the nationally. We both left there at different points in time um, to establish our own independent consulting practices. And we continued to collaborate because we just we had a very strong relationship um, at professionally. And as we were continuing to do our consulting work, at one point we realized that there might be an opportunity to, to come together and build a brand around executive search. So what was happening is that we were doing IT strategy work or IT organizational assessment work. And often at the end of the engagements, our clients would say, well, you recommended a CIO. Do you know anybody? And this only needed to happen a few times for us to realize that, wait a minute, there's an opportunity here for us to get more involved in, and really um, come together and establish a, a search practice. So our firm is dedicated, continues to be dedicated to higher education. We are, we are dedicated to the information technology space. We, we do both consulting work and strategy and organizational assessment. And then um, our search practices, as you know, is focused on chief information officers and their direct reports. And I think because we put those two things together, it, it allows us to do a couple of things. We spend a lot of time working with CIOs, and it really helps us understand what makes a CIO successful today mm -hmm. and how those needs are changing over time. And I think also because we understand the underlying issues and challenges that CIOs have to address, when we're in a search, we can represent the institution's strategic agenda to candidates in a way that's transparent, compelling, authentic, and we think it prepares candidates better to, to engage with institutions successfully. We'd like to um, talk a little bit about the executive search process. Jack, I'm going to take that from the perspective of how a candidate experiences mm -hmm. it, because we, we've just spent the last two days here at the conference meeting with uh, aspiring IT leaders, and often what we're asked to do is demystify the search process from their perspective. And there are probably more than a half a dozen points of interaction that a candidate has with a search process when a search firm is engaged. It could start with just a phone call expressing an interest of, hey, I saw you have an opportunity. Can you tell me a little bit about it? I want to understand if it's something that I might be interested in. 
Now, then it becomes the formal application of a cover letter and a resume, which is the way we get to know the person better if they're not already part of our network. But more importantly, it's going to be the way that a search committee down the road is going to first meet the candidate on, on paper. Now, then when Mary Beth and I are doing searches, we'll, we'll end up having probably two or three conversations with candidates before we ever uh, introduce them to our client search committees. And you know, through that process, what we're really learning about the candidates is why they're interested in the position, what it is that they've done as leaders as their career has grown, and how does that match up with the institutional agenda that the search is focused on. And it gives us the information we need to then go to a search committee and say, here's what we learned about this candidate. You know, and here's why we really are recommending them to you as someone that you should get to know. And it, it really helps the search committee when they finally are in front and interviewing a candidate do so with a depth of knowledge about the individual that they otherwise wouldn't have. You know, and then as the institution takes more of the leading role in, 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 in interviewing candidates and vetting the candidates, we're still there behind the scenes guiding them and making sure that they're in a position to put them their best selves forward in the interview process by having debriefing calls with them, having prep calls with them. They get pretty tired of hearing from us by the time they're to the finalist stage and are going through those day-long interviews of um, meeting with all sorts of interview panels. And, you know, and then we're involved in checking their references and um, you know, work, making sure that if we learn something, we go back to the candidate and say, hey, can you give us some context about this? Because we want to make sure we can explain it in a way that's objective and fair. Um, you know, and hopefully we're there to congratulate them when the, when the search is over and see them get successfully launched. Yeah, and I think I would just add from a from a candidate's perspective, um, we we want our want candidates to go into the process really trying to seek an understanding of what the institution is looking for, um, so that they can present their their best authentic self. We also want you to be very honest about the opportunity um, and and talk to your family about it if that's important to make sure that they're interested in moving to X rural location or X urban location. And really don't surprise your partner, your spouse, when you've uh, made it to the finalist stage. Because, wait a minute, I didn't know we were, we were thinking about moving. That was a surprise to me. But we want, we, we want people to scope out the opportunity, obviously not just for the reasons of geography. But um, we want them to evaluate the institution and the culture and you know, the size of the organization and the challenges that they're facing. As, as Phil mentioned, we, are, we work with our, our, can, our clients um, right up front to understand what the agenda is, what are the opportunities and challenges. And we want people to be realistic about, about those, uh, those issue sets and see if they're going to be excited about those. Can they get behind them? They may not have experience in every single one of them, but are they excited to try to, to pursue those challenges? So those are really important things to be thinking about up front. And use us as a search firm to really try to validate your understanding of what they're looking for. So I always tell people who are thinking of search, it's, it's a lot about right person, right institution, right time. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it may not be the right time. It may not be the right institution, or you may not be the right person for either of those. Mm -hmm. How have you sort of helped people sort of understand to make that evaluation? I think only the individual knows if it's the right time, because that's, that's a lot about where they are in their mm -hmm. career and the stage of life. I think in terms of right person, I think part of our responsibility sometimes yeah. is making people realize they're more ready than they think. That there's a lot of people who self-select out of processes because they don't think they're the right person because they look at a, at a job description and say, I, I haven't done all those things. And I think sometimes when, when we can, we reach out and say, that's not what we're asking for. We're looking for whether you've had leadership experiences that you can draw from to inform the things you haven't yet done. And I think that helps us 
helps people see if they're, if they're the right person, you know, mm-hmm. beyond what they think of themselves. I think whether it's the right institution and the right opportunity, that's a discovery process. And I, I would, my advice would be, don't make that decision from the job description alone. Have a couple of conversations with us, and and you're going to learn more as you get through the process. But but start with with a reason why you're you're intrigued, but then go deeper, and you'll start to figure out if it's the right opportunity for you. Over the last few years, there have been a lot of changes in our world, right? Just a few. <laughs> and for example, one of the things that we're seeing a lot more of is virtual interviews. Yeah. And, and so they've become important. And, and how do you think people should um, be preparing for these kinds of interviews? You know, what should they know about how to engage in a virtual interview? So you, you need to show up just like you're showing up in person. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, starting with the, you're, you're, you're behind a screen, right? So make sure the lighting is good, the, 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 the audio is good. You don't need to necessarily have a virtual background. You know, I don't, it's, you know, you're, you're walking into, they're walking into your office. So I think that's fine. It makes it, makes it, makes you human, makes the, the experience a little more personal. Um, you know, you need to do your homework, um, just the way you would if you were showing up in person. Um, you need to allow some time both before and after. So don't try to schedule the interview at the end of another meeting. So your, your meeting ends at two, your interview starts at two. Don't do it to yourself because you can't, you can't fully engage and be present in the process if you're, if you're running from one meeting to the, to the next. Um, I would also say follow up with your, with a thank you note. I mean, people don't do that anymore. I mean, it doesn't have to be written, but it can at least be an email. Just, you know, because a lot of people are putting a lot of time and energy into the process and a little gratitude goes a long way. Um, I'm sure I'm forgetting some things. Well, well I think the, the here's a lesson learned. You know, I think there's a temptation because we're sitting in our home offices and we can have multiple monitors up or we can have a set of notes under the table. You, you don't want to be reading your responses. You want it to feel conversational. Mm-hmm. Yeah, do your homework, prepare, write up some talking points. It's okay to have a couple notes. It's okay to jot a note down of what was the question that was asked of you so that you can make sure you're answering it fully. But you're not giving congressional testimony. You don't want to read a prepared a prepared statement to the search committee because you know they're on the other side trying to be interactive with you, and you want to be able to come across in a much more conversational way. Yeah, and one of the challenges in that kind of a situation is you're not making eye contact with people, and so you have to pay attention to some of these other pieces of advice I think that you're giving. Right, and I think some sometimes if you do better standing. Then stand up, you know, mm-hmm. get your, get your setup, you know, standing because you might be able to be more energetic. And if you do better sitting, then sit. Don't be alarmed if your dog or your cat runs through the, the screen. I mean, again, it's just we all are appreciative of the environments that we're in. So try not to let that distraction distract you mm-hmm. to the extent that that's possible. I think another thing that's a little bit different, at least for us, is that when we used to do the semifinalist interviews in person, part of that interview process was a presentation. And that we've actually recommended to our clients to take that out of the, the Zoom interview just because it is so hard to make eye contact. And, you know, there might be some people that don't have their screen on for whatever reason, and it just makes you feel a little bit uncomfortable. So we're, we're creating the structures to create the conversation. And one of the things you can do that you can do on video that you can't do as easily in person is use the name that, you know, is in the box of the person that you're interviewing with or this, of the committee. And if, you know, if you remember that that person who's asking you the question works in enrollment services, connect with them in that way mm-hmm. if you can. Uh, and certainly when you get to the Q&A part of it, use people's names. It's a way that you can make it feel more personal. 
So we've talked a lot about how this has changed for the individual, but how is it also changing for the organization? Mm. And what are some ideas? Because when we used to do the search processes in person, a lot of this is also trying to make the candidate want to come to our institution. So what are some things we can be doing to help with that? Some of the things is providing more background information for the candidates to review in advance of their interviews. I mean, we we ask for the org charts, obviously, but we also want them to share strategic plans and any other information about not only the IT organization that may not be public, but about the institution. I think the other thing from a, a specific search committee perspective is just as we talked about, don't don't walk from one meeting to the next. Spend the time looking at the individual's cover letters and resumes and try to create a buffer before and after the interview because you too want to put your best self forward because you are representing the institution and you want the, the candidates to be excited about the, the opportunity. I think we also ask committees, you know, work with us. Have fewer questions and more space for follow-ups and conversation and it's a chance for the committee to share information about the institution. Mm-hmm as opposed to trying to fill the whole hour, hour and a half with 20 questions. And it just feels so rapid and impersonal that you don't get a chance to really share what is a point of pride that you have about the institution. Are there other things the institution um, should be thinking about, we on the hiring side, when we're looking to work with a search firm? Be prepared to look at the position from the candidate's perspective. You know, If you're going to engage with us, it's not just for the management of the process of recruiting. It's really, it's for the discovery of the agenda that you're hiring someone to provide leadership around. So we're going to want to work with you to really understand how will the candidate perceive this opportunity? What will they get to work on? Are there, is there an alignment of expectations, authority, resources, agenda? Because certainly the candidates are going to be scrutinizing that because they, they don't mind a challenge, but they want a challenge they can succeed at. Uh, so being able to look at it from that perspective, being able to look at the construct of the job, you know, it, when, it's, when you're about to begin a search, it's one of those rare moments where you can take a step back and, as an institution, ask, do we have this position reporting in the right place in our organization for the changes we're expecting the leader to affect? And that's also true if we're advising a CIO and hiring somebody as part of, of their leadership team. Uh, are, we, are we having the right components of our organization reporting to this person? You know, is, if academic technology is not part of IT, this is one of the rare moments when you can take a look mm-hmm. at that before you start the search, because you may make a fundamentally different decision with us about the kind of candidate you're looking for based on that organizational structure. And we also you know, ask on, on the scale from operational to visionary, where are you trying to land with the type of person that you want to hire? Because you don't want to hire a visionary and then give them an operational agenda. And then you don't want to hire an operational uh, leader who's going to be challenged to create vision when what you're looking for is someone who's going to raise the visibility of the institution by really taking IT to a national platform and really kind of pushing the innovation side of things. So we're going to kind of make you look at the position from through the candidate's eyes as we, as we prepare for the search. I think I would just add uh, two things. Jack, I think you mentioned when individuals are looking at jobs, it's, you know, right person, right time, right institution. We're going to press search committees on that question of right person because many people on the search committee and, and people are evolving and learning. They're, they're going to be looking for 
computer science degree mm-hmm. and, you know, I, they've had X, Y, and Z experience in all parts of the agenda that we're seeking. And we're going to bring to you candidates that have a, a, a very mm-hmm. diverse set of experiences. I mean, at this level, at a CIO level, you're looking for someone who's a leader of technology, not a technology leader. Mm-hmm. And so we were going to bring to you people that have leadership experience and they may come in very different flavors. So we're going to push on that, that search committee to think differently about what their preconceived notion of the right person might be. And then secondly, um, you know, kind of adding on to your question around what's different, um, the, the CIO market, the, the IT leadership market is very dynamic right now, and we have to be, we have to think differently about our schedule. Mm-hmm. So we are asking um, our clients to, to move a little faster, um, be a little more agile, you know, in their, in their process. And for some, it's a little uncomfortable, but if you want to recruit the best candidates, um, and keep them in your pool and ultimately attract them, you, you need to think differently also. Or in the early days, 10 years ago, we would, we'd recommend they choose six semifinalists. Now we're saying six to eight, maybe nine, just because there's so much, um, movement right now. One of the, the, the advantages of having the search committee do much more of their work on video is it's removed cost as an yeah. institutional concern. Yeah, so right. it opened up for larger candidate pools, which also has helped us create more diverse candidate pools because it really puts search committees in a situation where they feel like, you know, that person may not have all the experiences we were looking for, but boy, we see a lot of potential there. Let's give that person a chance to interview because we're really we're investing an hour and a half on a video interview. Why wouldn't we want to yeah. you know, mm-hmm. meet as many candidates who are well qualified as possible? So, so this podcast is the integrative CIO, and it's really about integrative leadership. And we were wondering, um, are institutions looking for integrative leadership? And if so, how do they define integrative leadership? Whether they know it or not, they are. You know, if you think about, if, if I think about what we're hearing from clients is important to them in the hiring they're making, you know, they're thinking about things like data strategy, you know, where we really want to be able to raise our ability to use data to make decisions. They're thinking about business process change, whether that it's, it's a holdover from emergency things we did during the pandemic to move off of paper to now we really want to, to actually do digital transformation. You know, they're thinking about student access and, and digital equity and the need to engage all parts of the institution with IT in doing that. Or they're thinking about how to look holistically at the student experience. And so that's the issue set that they're more often than not describing. Or if it's a research university, it's are we striking the right balance as a federated IT environment? And there, there really is no way to affect change on that issue set unless you're someone who's got the leadership skills to work across the entire institution. And so I don't know that they've used the word integrative leader with us as much as they have institutional leader, ability to lead change, ability to have a perspective beyond the IT organization to the broader institution. Following up on that a little bit, are are there specific kinds of experiences that you think future CIOs might want to have on their resume that presidents or provosts would be looking for? I think what institutions are looking for are people who understand and can develop um, the collaborative and and strong business partnerships across the institution. So they want, they want people who've led organizational change and have an enterprise wide perspective. Um, They want people who understand that that IT is is delivered in service to the institution so that they want to hear about projects or initiatives that they've led to improve student success, to expand the the research footprint, 
um, to improve operational efficiency. I mean, those are some of the things that Phil was just talking about. They, they obviously want someone who understands and appreciates the balance that's needed when managing um, security. Uh, the, the security environment, the security threats, um, especially in a research institution, it's not, you can't just go command and control. There's a, there are a lot of researchers there that you need to be able to engage with and appreciate their situation. So um, those are some of the, the other pieces. I think they're looking for individuals who understand the importance of data, um, data integration, data management, data governance. Um, and I think, you know, from a, a pure quality standpoint, they're looking for leaders that are innovative, they're, they're curious and they're human, right? Because you are, you're not just leading technology and technical projects. You're leading an organization that's customer service oriented that is in, again, in support of, of college or university mission. You know, picking up on that last point about leading people, I think really the, the recognition of the competition for IT talent, recruitment and retention has really put an emphasis on leaders and not just CIOs, but rising CIOs as well, who establish organizational culture, who really can think creatively about staffing strategies, who can think about professional development, who can think about diversity, equity, and inclusion, and we can create a sense of belonging in the IT organization for people and ideas from very diverse backgrounds and perspectives. That that's gone way up higher on the list of criteria because um, it's you're leading people much more than you're leading technology at this point. Yeah. So one of the themes that we've heard, and I'm just sort of curious how people might bring this forward, is the integrative CIO is really a team, and is that reasonable to be talking about how you build teams that really come together to take the group to a different level? Absolutely. I mean, you're not doing it. You're not doing it alone. There's, you just, you can't. Um, you, so it is probably one of the most important criteria that someone needs to be able to demonstrate that they've created a high performing team. That they've created that culture, as Phil mentioned. Um, and I think it's, you've, you've not only done it in your past, but you've done it in the last couple of years, which is we know we will continue to be challenged by this hybrid environment. How have you taken advantage of the lessons that you've learned through the pandemic to create a culture of belonging when you know you've got a third of your workforce working remote, a third of them um, hybrid, and a third of them in person? I think that that is really, really important. Um, and it's not only creating that culture, but what are you also doing to help those individuals advance their careers? I mean, you're, you're obviously looking out for your own career, but you need to be developing the people behind you. So, And a, and a succession plan. Um, so creating opportunities for them is just as important as, as having those people focused on the opportunities that they need to deliver on. One of the questions that we've been getting from some of the people we've been coaching here the last couple of days has been, you know, what, what is different about managing a larger organization from managing a smaller organization? Because often people just count the number of direct reports and say, well, I'll still have seven direct reports. And just getting people to think about what is fundamentally different when you are managing and mentoring people who manage and mentor others and, and getting in that mindset of how you would act differently as a, to build that kind of a team that can affect change really only happens through your ability to develop other leaders. One last follow-up. Um, as we've done the podcast, one of the things that we hear over and over is about the value of good communication skills. Mm -hmm. And it seems like one of those things that sometimes is hard to sort of showcase, but are there ways that you've seen people be able to highlight, um, not just in their presentation style, but in work that they've done, their background in communications and change management? I think definitely. I mean, in some ways, the construct of the search process creates 
those opportunities. I, I think people often feel like, wow, this is overly performative. Why are they making me jump through these hoops? But if you step back and think about it, those think on your feet moments, talk to diverse groups, be able to interact with the cabinet one hour and the IT staff the next hour is what a CIO does every day, as you two both, both know very well. And, and so I think the search process does provide those opportunities to demonstrate it. But you also have to re- you know, realize that you, you're being challenged to write well and through your cover letter and your resume. And certainly people on the search committee are going to read that and they're going to comment on your grammar and clarity. You know, you're going to get a chance to do it, certainly verbally, with very diverse audiences, with short questions, complex questions, technical questions, non-technical questions. And you're going to be asked to explain expand on what in your own experience has been your approach to leading change. And maybe you've not dealt with the issue that the institution you're interviewing with is dealing with, but what in your experience base, you know, is is the equivalent complexity of change where you had to be that communicator that built the coalition that got it ultimately done. And just two follow-ups, one on the cover letter, which is one of my personal pet peeves, is that people think it's a, a box you have to check. It absolutely is not a box you have to check. It is, I, my favorite analogy is um, telling people that treat it as a, your movie trailer. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're gonna, this is the movie trailer that the search committee is going to read to want to get excited about learning more. And so get them from the cover letter to the resume to the interview. So be, be yourself, be your authentic self. It's not pro forma. It's not a transmittal letter. So really think about that. And cover letter and expressing why you're interested in the role and why your experience tees up with what they're looking for. One of the things about the cover letter that I have heard is people thinking that it is pro forma, that yeah. it doesn't really matter. And I was just talking to somebody the other day who said she spends more time focused on the cover letter for mm-hmm. positions she's hiring for than, than the resume. Yeah, because that's where your human mm-hmm. your human side comes through. And I just I know sometimes people are looking at their experience within the institution that they're working for currently or maybe a prior role, and they might feel like, oh, I don't have that experience that they're looking for. But we also, we tell people two things. You know, think about experiences that could translate, and then look outside, because I know many people are involved in, in volunteer work. They might be on a, a board at their local church or local nonprofit that could be equally transferable to the job that they're applying for. So that's all part of your package, and don't hesitate to, to use those as examples. Back to your question, Jack, about communications, the equivalent of the cover letter verbally is that opening question from an interviewer about, you know, why are you interested in this position? And that is not a throwaway question. People really want to know, why do you want to be our colleague? What is it about our institution that connects? And it's it's not a challenge to recite why you're qualified. It is really an opportunity to talk about what it is about that, this moment, the institution, the mission of the, of the organization or the institution, the challenge inherent in the job profile that you read, that really resonated with you, grabbed you and wanted you to invest your time in pursuing it. So that's like the way you tell your cover letter should be the way you tell your answer to that question. And please don't lead with geography or this, I wanted, I had one more stint in me and um, this is where my grandchildren live. We've talked a lot about CIO positions mm-hmm. yep. and, and looking for new CIOs. What other opportunities do you see out there for senior IT leadership kinds of roles? There are many. Um, there's Chief Information Security Officer. Um, we've done. Re- we recently did um, two recruitments for a, a um, Associate CIO for Research, um, an Associate CIO for Education. There's you know, Vice President for Infrastructure Services. Um, chief data officer, um, chief digital officer, digital transformation. So there, there are a lot of, of opportunities for people 
with a lot of seasoned experience um, in, in IT that may even be coming, they might be CIOs at a smaller institution and are looking to um, make a move to a larger institution. That might be a nice kind of bridgeway um, into a, to a larger institution. And we see people whose careers move up and down a little bit because they're trying to change scale of institutions. So, you, mm-hmm. you know, you may be a CIO who becomes a deputy CIO because that's your path to becoming a CIO again at a fundamentally different type of institution. Right. So this has been wonderful. And as we get ready, um, one last question for our average listener. What are some things that they should be thinking about um, now and in the future as they may be thinking about um, a job change or other sort of um, endeavor? A couple things come to mind. Uh, keep your resume up to date. You know, not maybe moment by moment, but certainly every six months. And one exercise I've often advised people to do is every six months, maybe write a memo of accomplishment to your team, which gives you an opportunity to document some of the outcomes that you as an organization have had. And some of those very same bullet points that you're giving kudos to your team for helping you accomplish are the things you want to highlight in your resume that you're doing to make a difference at your institution. And just being in the habit of keeping that up to date and keeping that fresh also keeps you in the mindset of looking at, you know, am I growing? Am I continuing to get those leadership opportunities across my organization and my learning about different parts of the university so that when I sit down with my boss, I can ask for those opportunities. So that's one. The second is build your professional network. You can never you know, extend that enough. And whether it's through Educause events you're going to, or if you're in a, a university system, people at other campuses, people within your campus, uh, your, your ability to tap into the generosity of this community is one of the best assets that you have as you're navigating your career. I imagine people do this to the two of you, just asking you to tell us your story. How did you get to the role sure. that you're in? How did you get to your first CIO position? And the more you have those conversations with people, the more you'll discover that there's many ways to get there. And I think you'll, you'll, you'll benefit from that. Uh, yeah, another thing to do is call us. You know, we, we really want people to reach out to us and, and just get on our radar screen. But, you know, I think it's, it's an opportunity to, to really have a conversation with us before there is a job that you're pursuing to just let us know what you're interested in. Let us know what you've been accomplishing um, and, and let, us, let us give you some feedback about the kinds of opportunities we're seeing that maybe you didn't think you were ready for that, that you should start competing for. Yeah, and I would add a couple things. I think with respect to getting involved, um, getting involved with Educause and putting yourself out for either committee roles or um, putting in proposals for presentations, it's a great way to get get exposed and to share your subject matter expertise. I think also getting involved with your local community. Um, there are many mm-hmm. institutions now that they're the the local economy is content is is bound to the local university. So see what what opportunities there are to create bridges and partnerships there. And then finally, I would just say, as you go through this process and continue to evaluate your career opportunities, be nice to yourself. You know, take your foot off the pedal a little bit. There's, there's not a pressure to get to the next step, you know, in six months or a year. Um, it, is a, it is a process of evolution. And just kind of enjoy the ride as you go through it. Well, Mary Beth and Phil, thank you. This has been a wonderful episode. I'm sure our listeners will love it. Well, thank, thank you. you. Really appreciate the opportunity. Thank you.